I turn now to our scripture lesson. As we continue our examination of 1 Corinthians, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15 through 18 this morning. So again, this is the words, the word of the Lord, this is the Lord's word, I meant to say. As we come to hear it again, we've been singing God's word in the Psalms and heard it read this morning, but we now read this for the topic of the sermon, and so I call your special attention to the Word of God, as Paul was infallibly inspired to write, and so let's attend with reverence to the reading of God's holy and infallible Word. 1 Corinthians nine fifteen through 18. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that they should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. May he bless its reading and its exposition and its hearing. Last Sabbath, we noted that from the context of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, we can surmise that some of Paul's critics have even accused him of being a false apostle Strangely to our way of thinking, perhaps, but because he ordinarily refused payment for his labors as a preacher of the word. The accusations seem to be he wasn't acting like the other apostles who did that. We saw in verses 1 through 14 that any preacher of the gospel has certain rights. And in today's reading we'll see uh, the things that they need to do in order to exercise that right. So so those rights included the right to be married and the right to be paid a fair wage for his labors. But what does he have to do to earn that wage? We're going to hear some of that today. Paul has these same rights, but for his own good reasons, he chooses not to exercise them. He remains unmarried, and he doesn't ordinarily take payment for preaching the gospel. Remember, we've learned from earlier passages, chapter 6, verse 12, and chapter 8, that just because a Christian is free to do something doesn't mean that it's always best that he do that thing. Christ has commissioned Paul to be his apostle to the Gentiles. In carrying out that mission, Paul has found it better and wiser, more advantageous, not to take direct payment for his labors from the people to whom he is preaching. We know that the church at Philippi in Macedonia, after Paul left that region, supported him financially. But for the most part, wherever he went, Paul worked with his own hands to support himself. He was a tent maker by trade, a worker in canvas. This Perfectly consistent, by the way, with what we know about Paul's background, because he was a student of the Pharisee, the, the 
Rabbi Gamaliel. And Gamaliel, among other rabbis of his day, taught his students to have a trade. They were not simply to uh, learn to teach the word and only make their living that way, but they needed another trade to fall back on. And this was Paul's, probably something he'd been brought up in. The labor of a tent maker, a worker in canvas. And so he would have worked not only at making and repairing tents, as I mentioned before, maybe he might have uh, worked on uh, the stalls for public marketplaces, and things like that in the cities he visited, but also would have repaired shoes and other smaller items that were made from canvas. In today's passage, Paul says this choice not to demand his right to be paid as a preacher, but to work in other ways, that was his reward. Well, the grammar draws our attention to verses 17 and 18 as the main focus of this passage. The content of these verses makes little sense if we don't first have a good grasp of the things that they're explaining. So it seems best for me to handle this passage sort of Bible study style this morning and simply take it verse by verse uh, and noting the lessons that we learn along the way. What we learn are several lessons about the faithful preacher. The faithful preacher, number one, considers it better to die than to undermine the gospel. Number two, the faithful preacher is compelled to preach the gospel. It's something that he simply has to do. But on the other hand, number three, the faithful preacher is willing to preach the gospel. Number four, he must obey Christ. And number five, he may choose not to be paid as much as he could get or at all for his labors in God's word. But that's a choice. Well, let's dive in and we'll see these things emerge. First, the faithful preacher considers it better to die than to undermine the gospel. Verse 15, but I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. But none of these things that Paul's talking about there, uh, that he says he hasn't used, uh, those are the rights that we talked about last week. The rights that he wrote about in verses 1 through 14. The right to be married, the right to be paid. And that would also be along with all of the reasons that he gave in that passage that preachers of the gospel should be paid. As he made comparisons to soldiers in wartime, to planting a vineyard, to shepherding, to oxen treading out the grain, and to more generally agriculture. All of these are examples of the laborer receiving his living from his labor. And Paul says he doesn't exercise those rights or make use of those reasons because he has the preaching of the gospel, or rather he sees the preaching of the gospel, without financial compensation as its own reward. <coughs> Paul has not been taking payment for his work as a preacher, and he's not writing these things now, he says, to convince the Corinthians to start paying him. Instead, he would rather die, he says, than not be able to boast that he has been providing this preaching for free without any accusation 
that he would be doing it for personal gain. <coughs> Pardon me. Now he's already clearly established that preachers should ordinarily be paid. And we'll deal in a while with the freedom to choose not to be paid. But we see here a, a principle that uh, applies to all faithful preachers, though. Whether they're paid for that work or not. The faithful preacher would rather die than in any way discredit the message of the gospel that he is bringing to the world. In Paul's day in Greece, one could often encounter religious hucksters. This was a known phenomenon in the early centuries of the Christian era. There were these sort of religious hucksters who traveled from place to place promising this or that blessing from some god or other if the people would just pay them to pray and make sacrifices for them. Rather like the word faith and prosperity gospel movement we see in our own day, uh, people who promise a financial blessing if you just you know, send your seed money into them. Uh, some of these ancient schemers might even go so far as to claim that they had heard from a god that he had pronounced disaster on this particular town. And don't worry, you can get out of it. Uh, Zeus isn't going to send lightning bolts to destroy your town as long as you pay me to make this sacrifice for you. All the people had to do was pay the traveling priest to intercede for them with the right sacrifices and they were fine. About a century after Paul's time, about a century after Paul wrote this letter, there was a Platonist philosopher from Numidia, that's in North Africa, part of the Greco-Roman culture. He was named Lucius Apuleius. They wrote a book called The Metamorphosis, or more commonly known as The Golden Ass, as in a donkey. And I think I've mentioned this book before. Uh, the golden part of the title there uh, re- refers to the concept of a golden thread or a theme that carries throughout uh, a book, an element that ties several parts of a story together. And in this case, the element of that story, the golden thread, was the story of a young man who, it's been many years since I read this, so I hope I've recalled this correctly. He, he tinkers around in, uh, with a witch's potions at the beginning of the book, hoping to find a means to make a young woman fall in love with him. But in the process, he accidentally turns himself into a donkey. I think there might be a comment there about how young men will do lots of things, make fools of themselves for the sake of a young woman. Well, then he has many adventures in donkey form before the end of the book when he's able to get himself turned back into the form of a man. And Apuleius uses these stories as a sort of critique of the Greco-Roman society of his day. And one of the adventures that this man-donkey has, this man-turned-donkey has, involves his having uh, to carry the idol, if I recall correctly, of a, a group of itinerant religious hucksters, like were known in that day. And he would also have to carry the treasures that they would plunder, so to speak, from the different towns that they went to. It's hardly surprising, thus, to find that some hucksters of that nature would attach themselves to the gospel 
in the early centuries for financial gain as well, just as we see people doing today. And it's hardly surprising that Paul would choose to avoid appearing to be such an unscrupulous person in order that the gospel might not be undermined. After all, he too was an itinerant preacher. So people might say, oh there, he's just another one of these itinerant preachers preaching some new doctrine so that he can make some money. So he avoided any appearance of being like one of those wicked itinerant preachers. That's a reasonable speculation anyway. But whether he takes financial compensation or not, the last thing a faithful preacher wants to do is to discredit the gospel in any way. He would rather die. Just as Paul says, I'd rather die than not be able to boast that I'm preaching this for no financial gain. A frequent prayer of mine is that my own sins and shortcomings won't undermine this ministry that Christ has entrusted to me. Because it's not really my ministry, it's His. So a faithful preacher would rather die than undermine the gospel. Number two, the faithful preacher is compelled to preach the gospel. That is, God drives him to it. He lays this responsibility upon him. Think of a similar kind of notion of when we read in the gospels, that when Jesus was baptized and he went into the wilderness, the Holy Spirit both led and drove him into the wilderness. And preachers of the gospel have a sense of something like that going on. They're both led and compelled. They're driven by God to do this. Verse 16, For for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. The man truly called to preach the gospel cannot help but do it. And woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. He may, like Jonah, temporarily resist. But the Lord will drive him back to it. As we read earlier in Jeremiah 20, when Jeremiah tried not to preach what he'd been commanded to preach because he was so frustrated, people weren't listening God told him to proclaim this. Felt as if, when he wouldn't do it, as if there was a burning fire shut up in my bones. He says he was weary of holding it back. It was harder on him not to preach than it was to preach. There's a sense in which faithful preachers of the gospel are compelled to it by God. The man truly called to the ministry of God's word cannot help but preach God's word. Paul said, necessity is laid upon me. I have to do it. And woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. The faithful preacher is compelled by God to preach the gospel. Number three, the faithful preacher is willing to preach the gospel. So it's not just that he's compelled, he also becomes at some point willing to do it, even if he resists a little bit at first. You might think of this as being something akin to the notion of irresistible grace. God doesn't drag us kicking and screaming into his kingdom. He gives us a heart to love him. And so we see him for who he really is, and we rush into his arms. Similarly, the faithful preacher is willing to preach the gospel. Yes, Paul does it of necessity, 
He is compelled, and woe unto him if he doesn't do it, but he's also willing to do it. He loves the Lord. Verse 17, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. Since he says in the next verse that he does have a reward, I take this to mean that he's saying he does do it willingly. We know that he preaches the gospel, even without pay, willingly. Important here is the first part of the verse, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. Well, as I said, a man may temporarily resist. His will is going to come into conformity with God's will in this matter at some point. I can say in my own journey, if you will, into the ministry of the Word, that I got sidetracked. And God has used that providentially for the benefit of the ministry He's entrusted to me. I went to college with the notion, well, I'll get out of college and I'll go to seminary and I'll be a pastor. And about the time I got, by the time I got out of college, I had decided I was going to go to graduate school and work on becoming a professor of history. And I got pretty disillusioned with that at some point because the Lord just just, uh, called me back to the path that he had wanted me to be on. And in reference to that, one time I told my pastor that I felt a little bit like Jonah, because Jonah had been told to go to Nineveh and he went the opposite direction. And my pastor's retort was, oh, you feel like a fish puked you up? <laughs> In some sense, maybe I did feel a little bit like that. But obviously, my, my uh, experience wasn't as dramatic as Jonah's. But I did feel a little bit like I had gone a different direction than the Lord had called me to, and, and he brought me back. So eventually, I became willing again. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else with my life since then. So here, the man who is called to preach, he's not going to preach the gospel reluctantly or only for financial gain if he's truly called to it. So yes, he might temporarily resist, but he's going to come into conformity with God's will. And he will want to do it. The faithful preacher is an elder of the type that Peter mentions in 1 Peter 5.2, who does not serve merely by compulsion, Peter says, nor for a dishonest gain. He will follow Christ's example, who in John 4, 34 said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. The faithful preacher is willing to preach the gospel. The fourth quality of a faithful preacher we see here is that he must obey Christ. It's not an option. He must. Though a true and faithful preacher will be willing... His personal will has nothing to do with his initial call to the ministry, for one thing. Indeed, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.1, the one desiring the office of an overseer or an elder desires a noble task. But not all who desire that office are truly called. As he lists, Paul lists a whole bunch of qualities that somebody who desires that office has to have. Those who are truly called re- receive their desire from God, And many who desire to be preachers of the gospel lack the biblical qualifications to preach. That's not to mention the many more who desire the office with no desire actually to preach the gospel. But the man whom God calls 
has been intended for the ministry of the word from all eternity in one sense. The Lord said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. <clears throat> Likewise, Paul says of himself in Galatians 1.15 and 16, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He didn't go to talk to the other apostles, and he goes on to say there that he actually went into the wilderness for three years to be trained by Christ, as it were. But here he speaks there on those verses of it pleasing God who separated him from his mother's womb and called him through his grace. Paul says here in verse 17 that he has been entrusted with a stewardship. Well, stewardship refers to a type of slavery, in fact. A steward was a slave who had been given charge over his master's property. Think of Joseph in the house of Potiphar in the book of Genesis. The slave has no say in the matter, in one sense. Willing or not, he must obey. As Paul says in verse 16, For necessity is laid upon me, yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So he must obey Christ. Yes, he'll be willing, but either way, he must obey. The faithful preacher is willing, yes, but he must obey Christ. The fifth quality is the faithful preacher may choose not to be paid as much as he could or at all for his labors in God's word. Paul has chosen not to be paid at all. Verse 18, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Well, the word translated abuse there is more accurately translated as used to the full. He's already established that it's no abuse of authority for the other apostles or for any preacher, himself included, to take payment for preaching. So abuse is probably too strong a term there. He's simply choosing of his own free will not to exercise his rights to their fullest extent. So I have not used this to the full. He's made the choice not to accept payment for preaching the gospel. Now Jesus' command to his disciples was that the worker in the gospel ministry should receive his wages. In Luke 10, 7, it says, or remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. And Paul has said in verse 14, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. That said, Paul has willingly sacrificed this right of his so as not to seem to be overreaching his position as an apostle in order to enrich himself. Simon Kistemacher's words are helpful here in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. He says, The purity of Paul's motive is aptly illustrated with a parallel from the medical world. And then he actually quotes Charles Hodge, saying, A physician may attend the sick from the highest motives, though he receives a remuneration for his services. But when he attends the poor gratuitously, the motives may be no higher 
or excuse me, though the motives may be no higher, the evidence of their purity is placed beyond question. So in other words, a medical doctor gets paid for his work, but he maybe didn't go into the medical profession because he thought he would get paid a lot. He went into the medical profession because he wanted to help people. He wanted to heal the sick. And then when he has the opportunity to do it for free for those people who can't afford to pay him, well then the purity of his motives are shown more clearly, but it doesn't mean that his motives weren't pure when he does take payment. Kistemacher concludes, Paul preached the gospel free of charge, indisputable evidence of his pure motive. So in other words, Paul's not saying that those who do take payment are necessarily impure in their motives, but I'm just showing you the purity of my motives more clearly by not taking payment. A man can preach the gospel for a hefty salary and be doing it because he is genuinely called and because he loves the Lord and because he loves his people. If he does it for little or no pay, that simply becomes clearer. It's more evidence that his motives are righteous. From this concern for showing pure motives, as well as from practical concerns, we get part of the reasoning behind uh, why we as a denomination have this practice when uh, usually planting a new congregation uh, in a new community. We don't expect that newly started congregation that church plant to support their pastor fully in a financial sense. So we give money from the outside, and then over time, that support is gradually decreased, and the local church is expected to take up that responsibility of not muzzling the ox while he treads out the grain and giving their pastor a living wage. Kistemacher also writes, Paul knows full well that he has the apostolic right to make his living from the gospel, but he chooses to apply the trade of tent maker. He uses his other rights, but does not receive financial recompense. The last three words of the sentence in the gospel should be taken with the word authority. Paul gratuitously offers his services in regard to the gospel. We raise two questions, though. This is what Kistemacher says. First, why did Paul choose to preach the gospel without charge? He certainly did, it, did not do it to gain higher praise than the other apostles who did exercise their apostolic right. Even though Paul writes that he worked harder than the others, he attributes praise and thanks to God. <coughs> the thought of performing work for its own advantage was repugnant to Paul. He worked for the sake of the gospel and its increasing influence in the world. Second, is Paul asking preachers of the gospel to imitate him? The answer is a resounding no. Nowhere in Paul's epistles do we find any evidence that preachers should abrogate the command Jesus gave the workers in his kingdom. If a minister of the gospel has an independent source of income and offers his services free of charge, he is free to make that choice. But that choice is his own, and he can never require it of others. In the same way, Paul made a choice to supply his financial needs by working at a trade. But he could never demand this of his fellow workers. You know, many a man has worked as a tent maker, so to speak, and we actually use that term simply because of Paul's practice, the term taken from Paul's literal practice of being a tent maker. <coughs> In other words, what we mean is that many a man has <coughs> held another job for self-support while preaching the gospel. But of course, that's not ideal, as we noted last week. A man who is going to be 
as effective as he possibly can preaching the gospel needs to be freed so that his time is is free so that he's able to do more preparation and carry out the responsibilities that uh, his time can be devoted to the word of God. Many more, besides those who have been tent makers, many more have taken a smaller salary than they could have gotten elsewhere. In order to be in places where they believe that they can be the most effective, they can be of greater service to the gospel. Well, cultivate this kind of zeal for the gospel within yourself. We're not all preachers of the gospel, but we can all cultivate this kind of zeal within ourselves and encourage it, especially among those who might become or who are preachers of the gospel. See if you identify such zeal in a man around you who might be biblically qualified to preach, especially the young men of our congregation who are here. Uh, Consider whether the Lord might be giving you the gifts to do this in the future. It's a very sad thing that young men don't often think of the ministry as even a career option, if you will. Something that we want to encourage. See if you identify such zeal in yourself or in someone around you. Do you or does he consider it better to die than to undermine the gospel? I think that's a zeal that all of us should have whether we're called to the ministry of the gospel or not. Do you know of a person who is compelled to preach? Is there a fire in your bones? Is there a fire in this person's bones as it will? Is he willing to do it? Or might he become willing? Sometimes we're reluctant. Now again, part of my realization that I could be fit for the ministry was the recognition that if uh, Christ only waited for men who were good enough to preach his gospel to do it, then Jesus would be the only preacher of the gospel. Is he willing to preach or might he become willing? Is he obedient to Christ? Does he care more for the gospel than for earthly reward? Might he be a faithful preacher? Let's consider these things and cultivate, again, this zeal within all of ourselves, but also see if that zeal is there in someone around you. Let's pray. Lord, raise up faithful preachers like the ones we've just been considering this morning in your church. Those who consider it better to die than to discredit the gospel. Compel them to preach and grant that they may be willing. Make them obedient men. and Provide for their earthly needs. Grant that we all may have that kind of zeal for your word. That we would rather die than undermine your gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.